Okay, so last time we've, um, we're through Isaiah 64. It's hard to believe we're coming to the close of the book of Isaiah, but we'll look at Isaiah 65 tonight. Um, that's a very inspiring chapter, like all, well, like every chapter of the Bible is. Um, these are giving us glimpses into the time when Jesus Christ has returned. We see the holy days in chapter 65 represented here as we go through it. And it, uh, and we see God kind of uh, showing people what it is that he expects of them in ways ways that we, we might not have expected. We all know that we are expected to live by his law um, and his commandments, but there are some things in here about people where he specifically says, you're not my people if you do these type things. We'll talk about those a little bit. And of course, in Isaiah 65, we have, you know, um, verse 20, it talks about a time when the infant and the old man will die at at 100 years. So we'll we'll talk about that a little bit too and and see if we um see what that means in the context of the this the chapter that we're in here. So as we closed last time in chapter 64, um it closed with a question if you remember in verse 12 there of chapter 64 and as chapter 65 begins God answers that question in chapter 64 verse 12 it says um Will you restrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict, afflict us very severely? And as you remember in chapter 64, people were, were were looking to God and recognizing what they had done and and you know calling back, calling him to come forth and 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 save them. And in chapter 65, then God answers that question. And again, he reminds Israel, his people. Remember, we have the my people of the old testament, ancient Israel. The the people that he created, he says, through those births from through Abraham and the line, uh, the line of miraculous births down through um, down through Abraham's line. And then we have the my people of the New Testament, which, you know, you and me, the people that he calls from every uh, tribe, tongue, nation, ethnic background. He makes us his people. So in 65, you know, he says, I was sought by those who didn't ask for me. And he's talking about the Gentiles here. So, you know, with looking ahead, we know that when Jesus Christ came, he opened the door. He opened the door to many things. And one of them is the Gentiles would be, the Gentiles would have access to God's throne. The Gentiles would be called. The Jews were given the opportunity to follow Christ, but they rejected him, as you know. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. You know, they weren't there you know, pleading to God, but as as the gospel spread throughout Asia and those Gentile areas, God opened minds, he opened hearts, and they came to God, and and all of a sudden the Gentiles were receiving, receiving the Holy Spirit, and they became people of God. And here we had Jews and Gentiles, something that people wouldn't have seen in the Old Testament times, that the two of those would become one family and one people, but God created that, that, that way. So, Here's the Gentiles. I was found by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who didn't seek me. I said, here I am. Here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. Israel was God's people, right? They took upon, they took upon, um, they took God's name upon them. They were his people. He made a covenant with them. They said, everything you do, everything you say, we will do. They took his name, but they didn't honor that. They put him to death when Jesus Christ came as the Messiah. And so here is a people that weren't called by his name that are, that are receiving him, that are following him, that are being called by him and become um, grafted in, as it talks about in Romans 10 and 11. And verse 2, he says, I've stretched out my hands all day long. 
I've stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people. He's talking about Israel. I mean, we know the history of Israel. God would ask them to do something. They would do it for a while. But as soon as they saw another way to do things, they would just leave God behind, leave his way behind, and adopt those principles and do what they wanted to do rather than being loyal and, and committed to the covenant that they had entered into with him. I stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. And, and, and those are those are five words there that we should remember. When we are walking according to our own thoughts, then we are walking apart from God. And Israel would do that. There are Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 14, 12. Someone can correct me if that's not. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of thereof are the ways of death. According to their own thoughts. And sometimes people get the ideas in their minds. It's like, well, this is the way it should be. This is how it should be. And it's, that's my way. And you know, you take it to the extreme, what we have in the world today, that's my truth, um, which when I hear that anymore, it just kind of, it just kind of like, it just sends a signal through my, my, my brain. But according to their own thoughts, our own thoughts lead us from God. We always have to yield to him and be uh, following what he, what, what he would have us do. It says in verse three, a people who provoke me to anger continually to my face. You know, so, you know, we can we can think about God and we can think about, you know, those of us who have had children or even those who haven't have encountered, you know, who grew up in households with other with brothers and siblings and whatever. And there's things that you might ask people to do, even in an employment situation or if you're a teacher or whatever situation you might have. And then, you know, there's when there's someone who just simply will not do what you say or it's always done a little bit different way. And always theirs, and it's like you. there's this attitude that I'm not going to do it the way you want. I'm going to do it the way I want, right? And it kind of just causes consternation, and, and that's what Israel did to God, and we can do that to do God too. So it says, a people who provoke me to anger continually to my face. He sees everything we do, and he sees the attitudes that we have. We have to stop sometimes and think, what attitude are we showing God? Are we truly grateful to him? Are we truly thankful for the calling he's given us? And if we would stop and think about it and think about what he's preparing us for, we wouldn't continually provoke him to his face. And then he then he starts beginning in the, the next part of verse three here to talk about the things that Israel and people do to irritate him. And these are, you know, these are referring to some ancient practices, but we still have these things that he lists here in verses three, four, um, and five with us today. They just they're just done a different way. The next part of verse three, you know, people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens. Now, the word sacrifice there will usually, typically we'll talk about some kind of religious uh, thing. And, and in ancient times, and we still have them today if we think about it, in ancient times, the pagans would have these beautiful gardens, right? Flower gardens, whatever they are, tree gardens, you name it. And often in the midst of those gardens, they would have a pagan god, a statue there. And it was their way of of worshiping the earth. That God was the one who was provided the, the fruit, the beauty, you know, the vegetation and everything. And those gardens that they walked into was their way of honoring their God for what he had done. So, you know, we've even seen some of those things. I remember growing up, we were, I grew up in the, you know, outside of Chicago and in the Indiana side. And it was a very 
Well, or my my in-law, not my in-laws, my aunts and uncles lived was more of a Catholic neighborhood than the one I grew up in. But you would see these statues of Mary out in front of houses and in the middle of a garden, if there was a flower garden there, and you'd walk out there and there's this statue of Mary. And they weren't consciously thinking about worshiping Mary for the garden. But there is a whole group of people on earth that do worship the earth Right. I mean, we've all heard of Mother Earth and in, in China and large parts, portions of the earth, they worship the earth. You know, some would even say today all the attention that is on climate change, a controversial subject, is is has to do with some people as it becoming a religion in worshiping the earth. You sacrifice this, you sacrifice that all to preserve the earth and, and whatever. And it's a strange way of looking at things but when you when you look at what the elements of a religion are and you put those together you see what is going on and the you, you kind of see what's going on in some people's minds but here it talks about who sacrifice in gardens um and that is worshiping the earth having a god and, and thanking the god you know the god of vegetation the god of whatever it is for that angers god angers God, right? Because he provides everything. He is the sole savior. He is the sole provider. He is the one who provides everything else. And we worship him and give him thanks for everything that we have. Who sacrifice in gardens and who burn incense on altars of brick. Now, here's another instance of mankind's doing things. Um, you can keep your uh, finger there in Isaiah 65, but if we turn back to Exodus 20, You see a command of, of God, again, a very easy command to keep, but mankind will just, you know, do things a little bit differently than what God says, just, I guess, because it's their own way, not exactly what he said. In Exodus 20, Exodus 20, we have the Ten Commandments listed, but down later in the chapter, in chapter 24, he talks about these altars on which Israel, his people, should, should offer their sacrifices. In verse 24, it says, um, an altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. So it's like, don't, <laughs> don't use brick. Don't use hewn stone. If you're going to make me an altar and we're going to, you're going to sacrifice on it, don't use hewn stone. So here God is saying in chapter 65, and you burn incense on altars of brick. I told you how to build that altar. Build it the way I said, but yet you do it your own way. It goes back to according to their own thoughts. Well, brick is easier to lay or whatever, whatever the thought process is. But again, you know, that's why you will hear the church say, and you'll hear me say a lot, we have to learn to do things exactly the way God says. Pay attention to the detail. There's a lot of detail we don't know, but that's part of the growth that we have as we become more like Christ, to pay attention to the detail and order our lives according to the words of God. Here they didn't. It's some, something as simple that God says is, you're provoking me to anger. You made these your altars out of brick, out of hewn stone when I said, don't do it. Verse 4, they sit among the graves. This is, you know, sit among the graves. I guess it was something they did in ancient times. When you look up in the concordances, 
There were people um, in, the, in the pagan world that when someone would die, they would sit among the graves to be with them. Um, you know, if it was the day or two after they died, there was a belief that their spirit would be there and the spirit would talk to them and 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 that they would be able to feel the spirit of them. And so they would sit by the graves wanting to feel that spirit of the person who had just died. We have some of that with us today. I don't know of anyone who's ever sat by a, a grave after after someone's been buried, but I have heard people say, I felt their spirit uh, when they died. I felt their spirit either come into me or I felt their, I felt their spirit in, in the room. And it's like, that's kind of, that's kind of strange there. I'm sure they're just thinking of the memory and everything like that, but the way some say it, it makes you wonder what, what they're really thinking. I don't mean anyone in the church. It's been other people I've heard say that, but this is what they were doing there. And the God says, you know, when the dead are dead, they're dead. They're dead. You know, look forward to the resurrection. That is every man will, every man, woman, and child will live again. They will have the chance to, um, if they haven't in this life, been called they will be and their minds will be open but don't think you're going to commune with the dead spirits that is of satan that's not that's not what's there but god says here's some who sit among the graves here's some who spend the night in the tombs for the same reason they will just they will just stay there because they want to be with it and they don't want to miss whatever communication might be coming from that dead spirit of of, the, of their de departed one so you have all these things i guess today we would have you know, people not doing that, but we have things like seances. Um, we have things like fortune tellers. Never been to no one, never will be to one. But I understand that, you know, they, they can conjure up spirits and kind of tell you what grandma had to say or your aunt or uncle had to say or whatever. So it may not be people sitting in the grace, but we still have this element with us in the world today of communicating with the dead. God is pretty clear, you know, the Bible, don't do that. Don't do that. Saul, Saul did that when he went to the witch of Endor and, you know, had a had a demon represent himself as as, um, you know, Samuel. God says, don't do that. Understand the truth. You know, the truth, you know, and, and live by it. And don't listen to what the world says, the pagans say, or even begin to think about doing things the way um, they say. Going on in verse four, here's a common one, right? Who eats swine's flesh. I, you know, a, a few times in the course when I was a pastor, we would talk with people and Debbie will remember, you know, one case specifically that now we were talking to a lady and she'd been taking, this is back, you know, she'd been taking the plain truth forever. Um, she was, she wanted to go to church, hadn't been to church before. We talked about fundamental beliefs. We got down to uh, clean and unclean foods and she kind of looked at us and it's like, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give up pork chops or whatever it was. I'm not going to give up lobster. And, and, and that, that, that isn't valid. And we talked about it. It's like, no, it is valid. <laughs> you, you, will you honor God by doing what he says? And she never called again. She was like, I'm not giving it up. And I thought, well, so your God is lobster or whatever the pork thing was that she just had to have. And I thought that's pretty weak, but again, what did she choose? And, and people will say that in in the world right it's like what's the difference what's the difference if you eat pork didn't you know and we know the truth about what christ said um about you know washing your hands and purifying all foods we know what the real truth of acts uh, 10 and 11 is when peter saw the sheet descending in there but people will say what's the difference does that really matter and 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 their own thoughts it might not matter but here's god saying you anger here's people who put me 
who, who anger me to my face and provoke me to anger, who eat swine's flesh. That's not the only time he says it. He says it in chapter 66 as well. Um, so anyone, anyone who claims to be a Christian following God, you know, uh, here's two verses you could say, tell, you know, and clearly talking about a time ahead of us, not just Old Testament time, um, you know, about the, the foods they eat. You know, everything God asks us to do, it is a sacrifice to him. It is our reasonable service if we really appreciate the calling he's given us to sacrifice. And if he says, give it up, we give it up and, and, and just thank him for, for everything else, for everything he's done in our lives. So verse four, so who eats wine? And I do have a, you know, you can go back and look at Leviticus 11, where the clean and unclean meats are. I don't think we need to go back there and read all that. Everyone online here is, is well aware, uh, well aware of those verses where God says, these are the foods to eat and these are the foods that are unclean, you know, don't eat them. So um, verse four, yeah, who, who eats wine's flesh and the broth of abominable things is in their vessels. Things they eat in soups, whatever it is, you know, I, I don't even, some of you may know some of those abominable things that are in soups that people eat. The only thing that came to my mind was, you know, I, I do know in some parts of the world they have something called blood soup and, and you know, God says don't eat blood. And yet, you know, there's something like that in some parts of the world. I'm sure there's other abominable things that people boil to make a broth out of. And, uh, well, yeah, clam chowder, I guess, would probably fit into that as well. So, so you can kind of see the things God is saying here. Here, His people, people who provoke me to anger... And then he lists these things. Of course, the Ten Commandments are always things. Those are just those uh, those people obey. We're supposed to obey without even having to mention them, right? I mean, because that's just given. But God is saying these other things here too that they've adopted from other other cultures. You know, there's this danger in looking at how other religions do things, and ancient Israel was was guilty of that often. That's why God says in Deuteronomy 12 verses 29 to 32. Don't look and see how the Gentiles worship their gods and think that I'm going to be honored if you apply those things to your worship of me. And so we, you know, here in December, where you know the world is, you know, celebrating Christmas, the, obviously, and so many people know that it is based on a, a pagan festival from way back when, um, and that they think, oh well, as long as as long as we're mentioning God, he's okay with it, and he's absolutely not. We could add, you know, add, you know, we could add that into verses three, four, three and four here as well. God's not honored by that. It's an abomination. It's it provokes him. It provoke him to anger to see people doing those things. So God says, don't look in the, at the way they're doing it out in the world. Just follow me. He's got all the answers. He knows exactly the way. Jesus Christ said he's the way, the truth, the life. Just do it his way. He will lead if we just yield ourselves to him. We don't need the world's religions giving us clues as to how to worship him or or preach his gospel. Okay, verse five. Verse five. Who say, you know, and they probably don't say this to his face, although I'm sure some people do. Keep to yourself, God. Who say, keep to yourself, God. Don't come near me, for I'm holier than you. Well, what, what are they saying? When we say, oh, this is the way we should do it. You know, we, we should do bricks. We should all we could, should sacrifice on altars of bricks rather than unhewn stone. It's like God looks at that and says, you know more than me. 
I mean, you you know better how to worship me than what I tell you to do, who say, keep to yourself. Don't tell us what to do. Don't come near me. I'm holier than you. And sometimes we have to think about our actions. And is that what we're telling God? I, I, I think I know better than you what to do um, and see how God responds to that. And then he says, these are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. It just irritates him. You know, very thankful that God is patient with us, that he's merciful with us, that he's long-suffering because he he really loves all of mankind and he really wants them to repent and to receive eternal life. And yet he, and yet, you know, mankind irritates him and he under, he understands, he doesn't condone, but he understands, but we need, but we all have to, and all mankind is going to have to come to the point where we, you know, where we yield, where we yield to him. Um, yeah, I have written, I, I wrote down here as I was reading that verse, spiritual pride, right? That, that's the spiritual pride where we know more than God. And he would look at it and say, well, you, you seem to be taking a lot upon yourself. If you would, you know, if you would look into my word and remember humility and follow me and tremble at my word, then we're serving God. And then, then we move along well. So God talks about these people, right? Who provoke him to anger in verse six, he says, behold, it's written before me. I won't keep silence, but I will repay even repay into their bosom your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together. There is a consequence. There is a consequence for sin. There is a consequence for doing things differently than the way God said, for transgressions, iniquities, sins, for the attitudes that we have. And, you know, your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, there will be consequences of it. Um, and then he talks about they burnt incense on the mountains you know, again, worshiping other gods. And again, the ancient ways of doing things were one way, but we still have gods among us today that was talked about many times that people will trust in and rely on and 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 sacrifice to, right? It would be uh, jobs, income, money, power, authority, whatever people, whatever is their God that they're willing to sacrifice to 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 um anger God or go against his will because they want what they want so so badly. Anyway, so God says, I they burned incense on the mountains, they blasphemed me on the hills. You know, they've minimized God. We never want to take God's name in vain. You know, we if we if we have been baptized and we're following God, then we need to be behaving and conducting ourselves exactly the way that the Bible says to, you know, as we're led by a spirit. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their bosom. You know, it's going, I'll just, I'll just hit them in the chest. <laughs> I'm just going to not, I'm going to knock them down. You know, they're going to feel the consequences of it because sin, sin is not without its consequences. So, you know, there, there's no, there's no secret that most of mankind and even most of Israel um, doesn't worship God. Back in Isaiah 6, way back in Isaiah 6, you'll remember when God was calling Isaiah, he talked about there would be a remnant, right? And Isaiah was going to go out and he was going to preach this word and he was going to continue preaching it until the cities were laid waste. We'll go back to Isaiah 6 in, in a minute. But he said there will be a remnant, 10% of them, 10% of them, I won't make a complete end of Israel. They will pay for their, their sins and for, for rejecting God. But there would be this, this group 
this group, this remnant that would live over into the kingdom, um, and that God would grow Israel again from that remnant. He begins to talk about that in verse 8 of Isaiah 65. It says, Thus says the, the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster. Yeah, just looking at my notes here. As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, don't destroy it, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servants' sake that I may not destroy them all. So the wording is a little different than we might say it, but we know there's clusters of grapes. And sometimes if you're gathering grapes and harvesting them, you might look at a bunch of grapes and say, ah, it's just not a good, it's just not a good bunch. They're all withered, whatever, whatever the things happens with grapes. So uh, we'll just throw the whole bunch away. But what he's saying in this verse is, there are some good grapes among that bad bunch. You might look at the outside of it and say, ah, no, they're wilted, they're rotten, they're sour, whatever the whatever the thing is. But there are some good grapes on the inside of that. So as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, don't destroy it. Don't throw away the good with the bad. Just get rid of the bad. Save the good grapes. You know, for a blessing is in it. A blessing is you will, there will be wine out of that in it. So look for the good. Kind of reminded me when, you know, when, when you unpack that verse and see what God is saying, it reminds you of Abraham back in Genesis 18, when God says, I'm going to destroy God of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's an evil, it's an evil city. They have gotten worse and worse and worse. Um, and, and the end has come for them. And Abraham goes back to God and says, well, no, if there's 50 righteous in it, you know, he doesn't go there and say, oh, no, Sodom is a good place. Well, if there's 50 righteous in it, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? God says, no, if there's 50 in it, I won't. And it goes down 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. And God does save Lot and his family out of it. There were, there were good grapes, if you will, in that cluster of Sodom and Gomorrah, but all of it was bad. But God knew where the righteous were, and he took, he took them out of it. And that's what Moses was saying. Don't, don't destroy the whole cluster. There's good in it. There, there, there's For the righteous, will you save them? And, and God did. And so we have this thing, you know, the remnant, the remnant that's there. Israel has turned against God. They have angered God. You know, we look at the world around us today, the Israelite nations, moving further and further away from God in every single aspect of life, you know, and just ordinary human behavior that's been down through the ages that we move further and further away from it. But we know that in there is, you know, God has his people in, in places and he will watch out for them. He won't destroy the bad with the good. Let's go back for just a second to Isaiah 6 and just look at that again, because, again, here we are on the other side of Isaiah, and we we see the same things through Isaiah, the same prophecies, the same patterns that God has talked about. And, you know, even in chapter 66, we're going to read some of the things that we've been talking about in 65 here tonight. But Isaiah 66 and verse um, 11, God is calling Isaiah, and he says, you know, I've Basically, I've uh, I've touched your lips. I've purified you, Isaiah. You can go out and speak speak my word. In verse eleven, Isaiah says, "Well, Lord, how long?" And God answers, "Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, and the land is utterly desolate." That hasn't happened. That will happen again. God's word will be preached until the time that Jesus Christ returns. The Lord will has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet, but yet a tenth will be in it, 
and will return and be for consuming as a terabith tray, tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it's cut down. So the holy seed will be its stump. So God says, yeah, Israel's going to suffer. Israel's going to be displaced. Israel's going to be laid waste. But there is a remnant that I will bring back. And throughout Isaiah, we've seen God talking about bringing his people back to the promised land. There they're going to be planted. There they're going to, um, then they're going to worship God. They're going to be people who loathe themselves for what has happened and what they have allowed to happen. And they turn to God with all their heart and mind so that God, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, he said, he says, they will be children who won't be untrue. They'll be true to me because now, now they know who God is. Now they see what they've done and they repented of their wrong and they will be people who are true, true to him. So verse eight is, is referring back to, to that as God uses an agricultural example here. Again, for people to understand what he's what he's saying right oh yeah that's yeah well we gather grapes we do that we look we look for the good grapes inside those we just don't throw the whole thing away and verse 9 um if i'm back in chapter 65 now chapter 65 he he talks about something we we talked about a couple um, weeks ago as well he says i will bring forth descendants from jacob jacob being israel of course and from judah and heir of my mountains my elect shall inherit it, and my servant shall dwell there. It's talking about bringing them back. I will bring, I will bring the people back. I'll bring forth descendants from Jacob. My elect shall inherit the land. My servant shall dwell there. Sharon shall be a fold of flocks, and the valley of Achor a place for herds to lie down. For my people who have sought me, it's going to be a great place to live. Now, when God says He'll bring forth descendants back from Jacob, or from Jacob, and from Judah, my Remind us of Isaiah. Let me see my notes here. Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60. And verse 21. And here God is, you know, um, yeah, here God is talking about the people being brought to, to their promised land in chapter, uh, verse 21 of chapter 60. He says, your people shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands that I, God, may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand. Out of a very small number, he will grow and he will multiply Israel. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one, a strong nation, I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. Uh, hey, John, comment? Um, Mr. Shaby, in verse 9, where it says, I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, an heir of my mountains, he then says, my elect shall inherit it. Do you see a link uh, to that elect with the elect um, over in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 22? That unless those days would be shortened, no flesh would be saved alive. But for the elect's sake, those days would be shortened. Is that part of the the reserving or the sparing of of the of the um, the remnant um, through the end time, or do you see a link there? You know, I mean, he's talking about a physical people here. The elect, you know, uh, the the first fruits will be spirit beings at that time, right? So. Um... But he does say he does say the elect there is the inheritance with um yeah the inheritance will be co-heirs with Christ so 
Um, I hadn't really thought about that, but that's a good point. What what do you, what do you think? Um, well, as I mentioned uh, before, the the crucial point is that there is a remnant available that Satan here in Matthew 24 is trying to kill. But for the sake for the sake of those physical beings that uh, need to be alive for the millennium, uh, it says for their sake, the days would be shortened or, or Satan would have that that uh, time cut short. And it just seemed to jump out here. I had not seen this before, this connection, but it seems to jump out here that that elect could be what's being referred to in Matthew 24, since the saints, I mean, we die daily, you know, we've got the first resurrection, but Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 20 and verse five says that God will not resurrect anybody until after the thousand years are finished, except for the first fruits. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. You, when, when those, when those words show up, there, there's a tie usually there, 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 there's a tie to us. Very, that's, that's a good point. So. Okay. Any other comments on that or. Okay. Let's um, I guess we read verse, uh, verse 10 here. Um, so. 8, 9, 10, talking about the, the remnant, the people who will be faithful to God. And the verse 10, for my people who have sought me, right? That'd be a, a place to live. Verse 11, but then he goes back to the people who forsake God. But, but you are those who forsake the eternal, who forget my holy mountain, who prepare a table for Gad, and who furnish a drink offering for many. So, you know, this is what, this is what the promise is. This is what's going to happen. This is what I would like to have all of Israel do, but you forget me. You 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 put me out of your mind. You know, God says, remember so many times. We get into the spring holy days, and I always say one of the key words in, in the spring holy days is remember. Remember what God has done. You know, remember the Sabbath day is the fourth commandment. But this is you are those who forsake. You 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 let him you let him by. You forget my holy mountain. You go out and you prepare a table for God. Yeah. You're you're look you're doing something with uh with, with the gods here, and who furnish a drink offering for many. Therefore, verse 12, I will number you for the sword. These are some pretty strong words from God. Therefore, you know what? You're, you're doing that. So this is the punishment. I will number you for the sword, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, you didn't answer. I'll be with you just a minute, Xavier. Because when I called, you didn't answer. And when I spoke, you didn't hear. I gave you warnings. I tried to call you back. I tried to get your attention, but you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't pay attention, but you did evil before my eyes. Interesting in verse 12 there, God says a punishment. And we're going to see him say exactly the same words in chapter 66, verse 4. But we'll get to that another uh, uh, in just a second. Yeah, Xavier. Uh, Brother JB, uh, uh, verse 11 there, mm -hmm. it, we were talking about the elect earlier. Um, this elect may, may just reference to the people who God chose to preserve to bring over into the millennium. Because here he makes a differentiation between two groups. More pointed the sword, the others will go through all the chaos also, mm -hmm. but they will be preserved and brought over as that 10%. It doesn't mean that they were the most faithful people, it just may not. By election, God say, you, you're going to survive. They may have repented at the end, but they're not in the first resurrection. And then also in verse 11, 
the word God there is better, most translation better translated as fortune and mm. the other word as fate because those are the two false gods that they were definitely worshiping in this context in that fortune verse. Fate. Yep. Fortune and fate, yeah. Okay, very good. Good points. And that's an interesting. That's an interesting point. Yeah, that word. That word elect. The, the presence of it there does indicate the two groups of the people in, a, in even a slightly different way. Yeah. So very good. So so, anything else? Okay. So in verse twelve, I mean, God says, you know, because you do this, that this is what your punishment is going to be. Because when I called, you didn't answer. Again, he he will remind us. God will always send the message to us. Our ears have to be in tune to what is being said, whether it's the words that we read in the Bible or if someone tells us, you know, you need to look at this, or if our spouse says something or or we hear something in, in a sermon, pay attention, pay attention and yield to God. And, and, and you know, because he he will get our attention to it and we don't want to don't want to close our, our eye, our minds to it. It's interesting that he repeats those very same words from verse 12 in chapter 65 in verse four um of chapter 66 so and, and he tells what the punishment i guess in, in verse uh, for um those who are out worshiping other gods and doing those things in verse 12 but if we look over in in chapter 666 66 verse 4 we'll see this again in the next bible study but um you know it says uh, the line before it their soul delights in their abominations so god says so i will choose their delusions Right, I will bring their fears on them, because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they didn't hear. So we have a sword coming upon them. We have other people who were doing other things, and you know, and God says, "Well, I'll I'll choose their delusions. What they have feared, and that not trusting in me and not looking to me, I'll bring their fears upon them." Um, and I remember, I just remember growing up. You know, I, I don't remember who. God, God will bring your fears upon you if you fear something more than God. He will bring those fears upon you. And I guess that's where that, where that, um, where that comes from. But anyway, when God says exactly the same words twice, um, every word of the Bible we pay attention to. When He says it twice, um, we really pay attention to it. Okay, so back in back in chapter sixty-five. Verse 13. So we have this to these two groups of people. One, one, the elect, as it says in verse nine, the other who are not, who choose to not choose to do what God doesn't delight in. It says the last verse of this, verse 12. And so then he draws the distinction. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, my servants, those who serve me, those who obey me, those who count important what I say, my servants will eat, but you'll be hungry. My servants shall drink, but you'll be thirsty. My servants shall rejoice, but you will be ashamed. Pretty just pretty clear distinction there. My servants shall sing for joy of heart, but you will cry for sorrow of heart and wail for grief of spirit. So he sends what the thing is. And, and one thing for us always to remember, it may seem difficult to choose what God wants. The persecution comes and it's like, oh, it'll be so easy to give in. It's always, it's always keep your eyes on the joy God sets before you, always on the kingdom, always knowing he will deliver. And that what lies ahead of whatever pain or discomfort or tribulation or persecution comes, it's always good to keep your eyes on that 
but we have to use that during our lives and train ourselves on that to keep our eyes focused and, and develop that trust in God that we absolutely know that and wouldn't let ourselves fall prey to whatever it is that may come our way. And God says that very eloquently here in verses 13 and 14. In verse 15, verse 15 then, he comes to the name. He says, uh, you shall leave your name as a curse. Leave your name as a curse to my chosen. So, you know, we've read before that, you know, the, 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 the people who disobey God, who end up in the lake of fire, and they will be remembered forever and ever and ever. They will be ashamed. They will be a cursed people. This is the this is what happens when you don't obey God. You shall leave your name as a curse to my chosen. That's what they'll think of you as. You didn't yield to God. You failed. You you blew it in life. You had the opportunity and you didn't do it. For the Lord God will slay you and call his servants by another name. And so that goes to the future again, that God says his servants, he will give them a new name. We go, we'll go to Revelation 3 in a minute, but if we go a couple of chapters back to chapter 62, you know, God said the same thing again. In Isaiah, we see these themes continuing as God keeps repeating and drilling into our minds. This is, this is what's, you know, going to happen. The consistency throughout the book is, is, is incredible and it can only be of God. Verse chapter 62, um, yeah, verse two, it says the Gentiles, the Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You'll be called by a new name. So, um, you know, then in verse four, he says, you'll no longer be termed forsaken nor shall your land anymore be termed desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be and shall be married. A new, you know, a new, a new name. Um, if we go back to Revelation 3. You know, Revelation kind of brings together all the prophecies of the of the Bible and and you know it's the last book that God inspired to be written and 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 you see the themes throughout the Old Testament and New Testament all come together in the book of Revelation when we are um, in verse chapter three and chapter three and verse twelve. Um, speaking of the Philadelphia, the Philadelphia of the church, this is a church that God doesn't really say anything negative about. They wait for God. They're a small flock. They let God lead them. They haven't denied his word. In verse 12, he, they still have they still have to overcome. There's still sin that we all have to overcome. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will, I will write on him my new name. So as we're in chapter 65, we see the time frame that God is, is, has us in here as he's prophesying. It's, it's, it's clear that the time that we're talking about as we go through these verses, it is the time when Jesus Christ returns as, as we go through the millennium, as we go into the white throne judgment, as we're going to see in just, um, just a, a couple verses here. 
clearly the ties back to exactly the time of the white throne judgment in, in Revelation 21. But let's go back to chapter 65 of Isaiah. Only our verse um, 15. Um, your old name is going to be on these people who didn't follow God, who didn't yield to God, who didn't serve him. But you'll be named a new name, just like Abram became Abraham, Jacob became Israel. I'll write a new name on you, God says. And so in verse 16, he says, so that, I'm in chapter 65, so that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. Well, when he walks on earth and he's blessed as he walks through, it'll be because he worships and knows the God of truth. He's not going to be in the gardens worshiping another God, saying, thank you, God of the earth, Mother Earth, or whatever it is. He will be worshiping the God of truth and giving him the glory. That's where all the glory belongs. And he who swears on the in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. The, the God of truth, not looking to any other God. They will know God. And God alone is the Savior. He alone is the provider. He is alone is the creator, the sustainer, the Savior of all of us. Because the former troubles are forgotten. And because they, God says, they are hidden from my eyes. You know, he says in Isaiah, um, Back in chapter 43, he says, I will blot out all your transgressions, and I won't remember them anymore. You know, let's go back to Isaiah. You don't have to go back there. I'll, I'll read it from Isaiah 43. 43, verse 25. God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance, he says, and let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. Be honest with God. Be upfront with him. Let him know and work with the scriptures. Work with God. Use his Holy Spirit and let him lead you to the peace that comes from yielding, yielding to him and acknowledging the sins that we all have, you know, that God will reveal, reveal to us. Hey, Becky. Hey, I think it's really interesting there that he says, for my own sake, um, it gives some thought to the expression, forgive and forget. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think that that's what he wants us to do and to be like a little child. That's what they do. They forgive you and they move on for their own sake. I mean, it's healing to be able to forget about the, the wrong or the thing. We can't dwell on those things. Mm -hmm. So it is for our own sake. And that's following God's example, I believe. Yeah. And, and and it is really good. I mean, we all run into little problems here or there to just get over it, right? <laughs> get over it and don't hold the grudge. Don't get bitter. Just for, forgive and get on with life and understand we're all, God's working with all of us to bring us to who he wants us to be. Okay. So we're, okay, verse 17. Now, 17 is clearly, right? I mean, as we read verse 17, we our minds go right to Revelation 21. For behold, God says, um, you know, I, I, let me also give you Psalm 51.9. I mentioned Isaiah 43, where God blots out our sins. And, and Psalm 51.9 in David's prayer of repentance, he says, blot out my sins and don't remember them anymore. Psalm 51 verse 9. So verse 17, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Completely. You know, at the, at the end of Revelation, after the millennial uh, time, the time of the white throne judgment that we read about there in the second resurrection and then beyond that. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, 
and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever. Here's the eternity. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy forever. That we would, that, that, that will be, Jerusalem will be forever a city of peace. And we've talked about that before, how God will, um, you know, how God will, that Jerusalem will be a place that all people go to. They look, they go to the mountain of the Lord. They look for, they look for um, his law and, uh, and want to learn it. So we go back to Revelation 21. We have to, just because, just because these words are written here, you know, thousands of years later, as God inspired John with the, uh, the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, one says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John verse two, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So we see we see the time frame we're in as we're in these verses in chapter 65, as we're approaching the end of Isaiah. Um, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former shall not be remembered to come to mind. In first Peter, first Peter three or second Peter three, you know, Peter says when when the purpose for the physical earth is done, it will be burned up. It won't be remembered anymore. It'll be placed with a new heaven, a new earth where God comes down and makes his place and that he lives there and dwells and dwells with men. And in verse 18, just, just be glad, be glad forever there will be peace forever. All the old is past, all the pain, all the suffering, all the tears, all the agony, all the wars, all the consternation, it's all gone. It's all gone. And it'll be the time of peace and harmony that mankind has always wanted. Verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, God says. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. It's the same thing if you want to mark down Isaiah 30, verse 19. It's the same thing he says back in Isaiah 30, verse 19. And Isaiah 30, you'll remember that's the chapter that says your teachers will not be in a corner anymore. You'll see your teachers and they will say, this is the way, walk you in it. And we talked about that being a millennial, a millennial chapter. And here we know the setting we're in here too, when God is talking about Jerusalem. And it'll be a city of peace and a city of rejoicing forever. And then we come to verse 20. Seeing the context that we're in right now, we're talking about a time clearly that didn't happen in ancient Israel, clearly not the time we're living in right now, but clearly a prophetic time. God inspires these verses. No more, no more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. People will have complete lives. You know, you won't have a baby who dies a week old or dies from, you know, this, this thing that's going on in China. And here in Ohio, you know, they're talking about the, you know, it's not huge numbers, but three to eight year olds who have this white lung disease and, and whatever, they won't die. They won't die from just a few days. An old man who has not fulfilled his days, he will live out his life. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. And so the church in the past has looked at that and you know, it could, I, 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 we, we don't know exactly what it means, but we know that we all don't live 100 years today. Mankind has not just lived 100 years. There are some that say, you know, a generation in the Bible is like 100 years. And as God made, the generation will be there. Well, when God says 100 years, I, I think he means 100 years. Could that be a millennial verse? Could it be a white throne judgment 
verse, right? Because in the second resurrection, all the all those who weren't resurrected in the first resurrection of the first roots are resurrected. Every man, woman, and child who has ever lived, whether they ever heard the name of Jesus Christ in their lifetime or not, they will be resurrected. And you recall in chapter uh, 20 there, it talks about how books will be opened, that they will understand they will understand the truth of God, just like God has given us the gift of understanding um, his truth. That will all be, uh, that will all be there. And there will be a time that they will learn and that they will be judged according to what they do with their life and the knowledge that God gives them. And it says there at the end of chapter 20, whoever wasn't written in the book of life will, will be in the lake of fire. It'll either be eternal life or it'll be eternal death. That's the two choices. Jesus Christ said it in John 5, the resurrection, either to condemnation or to life. So in that white throne judgment, because there's a time when the purpose of mankind ends and, and God knows exactly how he's going to wrap up the physical earth and, the, and the, the plan that he has in mind um, with Jesus Christ to finish this, this what it is. So uh, some of what I say here is probably is speculation for sure, but at some point in time, there is no, there will be no more births, right? Life, because things end. Everyone who has been born, everyone, God will judge everyone and give them the time to do that. And it might be that this verse 20 is showing that. The child will live 100 years. The old man will live 100 years. And then everyone who has ever had a chance to live in, on earth, who has ever been born, will be judged in the, you know, in the book of life or not the book of life. We don't know. We can't say that that's exactly what that is. We, as we get closer and closer to the time, God will reveal what it is. But today, you know, we can look at that verse, and it's different. It's different, and it's in the context of of white throne judgment and eighth day, as we would we call it, or last great day. There's something that God has in mind, but we don't know. We don't know yet. But there is. There's come a time when the purpose of physical man. That's all complete, and God wraps it up. And then new heaven and new earth, and the rest of eternity, and the rest of eternity begins. So um, that's that's that verse. It is different than typical life we live in now. So we know there's something in the future that God will, you know, will um, will do there. Yeah. Hey, hey, Xavier. Oh, hi, uh, brother Shabby. Uh, could we could um, like most of um, Isaiah and different prophecies were. Our Father and our Lord have insets of different things, and they jump forward and backwards. Then they go back to the present. If if if, if this was say us thinking, we would probably put verse twenty to twenty five before verse seventeen. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I I know that's why I say it could be a millennial, right? Because the verses follow it are clearly millennial. So it might be something that's talking about what's going to happen in the millennium. We don't yeah, know. They, it comes they right there after. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, John. All right. I'm, I'm, that's it. Thank you. I, I've heard in the past, um, I remember growing up in Pasadena, this, this section was assumed to be written in reverse, um, just as has been mentioned from verse um, uh, 23. Um, I'm sorry, from verse uh, the end of the chapter, verse 25, the wolf and the lamb represented the millennium. Mm -hmm. Verse 23 came back to verse 20 was second resurrection. And verse 19 through 17 was new heavens and new earth. 
like these three sections had been written in reverse. Yeah. And that's that's the way it had been referred to uh, in my younger days out of Pasadena. But again, it's, it's kind of speculative, like you said, but um, it was curious that we would see that sort of written as new heavens and new earth. And before that was a second resurrection. And before that was the millennial reign of Christ. Yep. They're all put there. We, we know it's a future time. So it all happens. Exactly. Only God knows exactly the order, right? Of, of what all these, things, what all these, well, some of them we know are clearly millennial. We'll getting into that in verse, um, you know, 21, you know, they shall build houses and inhabit them, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Um, they shall not build in another inhabit. You know, we can think back to, you know, in Deuteronomy where where God says, if you don't obey me and you start if you start departing from me, you'll build, you'll build and another will inhabit. You'll plant and another will reap, right? But here he says, no, not, not, not at that time. You'll build, they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For those the days of the trees, so shall be the days of my people. They will live a full life. They will live a full life. And my elect shall, there's that word again, and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Hey, Dale. Uh, hi. Yeah, it seems like uh, it's all talking about the physical remnant and mm -hmm. not the saints, right? And uh, I was also wondering about 20 and 21 verses together, if they may be, again, maybe speculating, maybe they are connected to each other for the same physical remnant. During the millennium, uh, maybe we can't be 100% sure. What are your thoughts? It says the word and in verse 21, right? It says the word so I, thought and. It might, it, I thought it might be connecting because of that. Yeah. What, uh, you know, I, obviously, they're connected together somehow, right? It's all the time after after the return of Jesus Christ and the millennial and whatever, you know. But to point out what was pointed out before, there's that word elect in verse 22. My elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain. They won't bring forth children for trouble, meaning, you know, they won't be sacrificed. They won't die in war, I guess, and and everything. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. So, right. just, yeah. Okay, thanks. Okay. We'll, we'll live and we'll see exactly what God has in mind, so. Okay, verse, uh, verse 24. It shall come to pass. Now, see, this is a millennial verse, too, um, because we know that Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, ask and you shall receive, knock and you sh it shall, uh, seek and you shall find, knock and it will be, it will be answered, or ask, ask, yeah, um, Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. So God expects us in this lifetime, we have to train ourselves that we look to him. When we need something, we call on God, ask and you will receive, knock and it will be open, seek and you will find. But here he says the opposite. It'll come to pass in those days that before they call, I'll answer. Now, why would that be? Because these people have learned to trust God. They have through their life, they call on God that they, you know, oh, I have this trouble. I have this sickness. I don't know what to say here. There's a situation I don't know how to deal with. What do I do, God? He's always ready to teach and train when we ask him to teach, train. We don't know how to deal with this situation. We don't know what to do. We have to train ourselves through this lifetime to call on him. And the people in this time, after the return of Jesus Christ, he doesn't have to wait because he knows they're looking to him. Before they call, I'll answer. I, he knows now what our needs are, but we have, to, we have to go through the discipline of looking to him and relying on him, letting him give the answer and, and knowing that. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. 
I, he knows, he already knows what we need. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful verse because, you know, we, we will have come to that point in, in our lives where we just look to God. He has the answer. We can trust him. We know, we know that he knows what to do. He can give us the words. He can give us the thoughts. He can direct us to the Bible where the proper instruction is. And then, of course, 25 is just completely millennial, right? The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's, uh, the serpent's food. They won't hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, you know, says the Lord. A different nature in animals, a different nature in man. Joel 2.28, he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh. It'll be a wonderful, wonderful place to live. So chapter 65 is very millennial, very eighth day, very white throne judgment. Um, but God is also in that showing us the people who will be in that in that time and have the opportunity to experience all the life and good that he wants to give people. And others who in this life just choose to reject God will miss out on that opportunity and 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 suffer the things that that they um that they suffer. Um I wanted I wanted to get to, to verse two and leave your thought on that because I'm we're not gonna have a Bible study the next few weeks because I'm gonna be out of town and out of the country. But let me let me just get to chapter 66, verse 2, to just kind of finish up. I mean, very 65 is very encouraging. And I think the first two verses of 66, you know, leave a lot for us to think about as well. With all this good, right, that God is showing, every, how everything's going to be, he says, thus says the Lord, heaven's my throne, earth is my footstool, Where's the house that you will build me? Are you going to give me something, just a physical thing? It's all mine, he says. You know, it's it's wonderful that you put your heart into it. David wanted to build a house for God. He wanted to do that. But God says, where's the house that you'll build for me? Um, and where is the place of my rest? It's not, you know, it's, it's good that you want to please me. It's good that you want to serve me. It's good that you want to show your gratitude toward me. But you can't do that with physical things. They all belong to me. And he says, for all those things my hand has made. And all those things exist. And God says, if you want to please me, this is the one on who I will look. On one who is poor or humble, that's Strong's number 6041. This is the one. This is the sacrifice. This is how you can honor me. This is how you can repay me. To this one I will look. On one who is of a humble and of a contrite spirit and who trembles trembles at my word that when he reads it is it moves us it moves us to know that this is the word of god and that he has given us the very great and i'm going to use the word honor because it is an honor that god has called us and opened our eyes to see the truth here and we should never 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 discount it so let's stop there the next bible study we will we will finish up the book of isaiah so um but i you know it's going to be um, it's going to be three weeks before we have another Bible study next week. Yeah. Yes. Yes. This is Raymond. Uh, yeah, Raymond. I, I noticed that in Isaiah, the 65th chapter, verses 13 to 14, uh -huh. it says, my servants shall eat, drink and rejoice and there'll be joy. And then you think of. Matthew the fifth chapter and Luke the sixth the sixth chapter where it says blesses are those who hunger and thirst and sorrow. So it seems like there's a tie in there. Yeah, I think you're right. There are there are there's 
threads that go throughout the Bible that tie it all together. Very good. Well, let me give you the schedule here. So it, it'll be, I'm looking at my calendar. I was thinking three weeks, but it's going to be the next three weeks we're going to be out of town. We've got the Atlanta Pastors Conference next week. So actually next Wednesday, um, Darius, Steve Myers, and I will be on a plane and our wives to the Philippines because that conference begins that weekend on the Sabbath. So we'll be there. We'll be there. And then the next the next Wednesday, um, I, I, I'm going to be in Italy in our office over there um, as we deal with some stuff over there. So it'll be four weeks before we have our next Bible study. So the next three Wednesdays, we won't. So the 66 verse two will be. But you you can study ahead on chapter 66 and, um, you know, we will finish it up the next time. And, and the next time we have a Bible study, I'm going to use one of the polling features that are here on Zoom and see what book we go to next. I have a couple books in mind, but if you want to send an email, a, a book that you would like to, to go through and, and study, um, you know, we'll put some of those up and see what everyone wants, and we'll we'll figure out what we do, what we do after we finish Isaiah. But I, I, let's open up to any questions or comments or anything that anyone wants to talk about. Hey, Laramie. Um, that gentleman just mentioned eat, um, drink, and okay. rejoice. Um, what that was really, really insightful. What what did you tie it into again in the New Testament? I missed he, it. He was looking he was looking at Isaiah 65 verses 13, 14, and you were tying it, Raymond, into Matthew. Where did you say? Matthew 25? Uh wait a second. Yeah, I was uh Matthew the the fifth chapter and Luke the sixth chapter. Where it's like it's almost, I can't say it's a prophecy like, you know, or Jesus is saying like, this is what's going to happen to the people that are mourning and thirsting for my word and, and other things such as that. And it just seems to me like it may be tying into Isaiah, the 65th chapter, verses 13 and 14, that God is turning everything around for beauty. I'll have to, I'll look that up um, later. That is quite interesting. I never saw that before. Thank you, Raymond. Okay. Hey, Dale. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just wonder if I, if uh, Acts 3 and, you know, 19 talk about the restitution of all things, uh, if that connects to uh, Isaiah 65 and 17, uh, but God says he creates new and I, maybe that's completely new or maybe it's renewed. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think Acts 3 is clearly you know, you know, talking about the time that Jesus Christ returns. I think it all it all just begins at that time, right? And we use it around the Feast of the Tabernacles to talk about how the earth will be restored to its glory during that time when people uh, do. Yeah. But I'm, I'm sure it has an application beyond that as, as well. So Yeah, sounds good. Okay, anything else, anyone? Okay, well, one month <laughs> It's going to be a long time. Have a very good, I, I will miss being there. And, and I would actually, I actually had hoped that I was going to be able to, to do a Bible study while we were away. But the, the times are like 11 hours ahead uh, and in hotel rooms with, we don't know what kind of the internet connection will be. But we will, every Wednesday night, we'll be thinking about this and we will be, uh, We'll be missing seeing you, but we will look forward to the time when we're all back back together again. Okay, but do okay. keep your but do keep your your prayers on these conferences coming up. I, you know, it it is uh, God has something in mind 
for Asia. We have seen a lot. I have mentioned that a, a few times in letters and probably the letter that you'll see tomorrow in the update. We'll talk about that again. We've seen things happening in Asia that are just happening in Myanmar and Bangladesh and Pakistan. Uh, there's actually supposed to be someone coming from Mizoram, India, over to that conference as well. And they had 500 people attend the feast in Mizoram, India uh, this past feast. Oh. So there's a lot going on over there. So I ask God, you know, if it's his will that everyone can be there, that, that we can all be together and, and then see what's going on. I will be a, a Sabbath in Hong Kong after the, Philadelphia, uh, the, the Philippines conference. And in Hong Kong, they, you know, they've had to move out of a house where they were meeting in into a public place because of the government restrictions over there. Apparently, you can still meet in a free area if you're in a public place, but they question what's going on if you have any kind of things in your house. But the people over there and Terry Frankie, who's the, the director, the kind of the regional director over that area says, you know, they got a website ready to go and they think that church based on what they're seeing is poised for growth. So keep all this in your mind, you know, and, and, and your prayers as God, as God works around the world. And as we you know, have to keep reminding ourselves this is a worldwide work. This is not just the United States and Canada work, but a worldwide work. So, Mr. Shavy. Yes. Hi, Debbie yeah, from hey, Panama Debbie. City. Mm -hmm. uh, so, just a thought. You know, Abraham's second wife, Katura, mm -hmm. her five sons. He sent them eastward. So maybe these are some of Abraham's from his second wife. You know, we, we've been talking about the East <laughs> in, in the home office as we prepare this trip and that, you know, like we got to see what's going on, you know, going over there. We haven't talked about Keturah. We've talked about a lot of other things. I'm going to mark that down though. We're going to yeah, look at that. That's very interesting. So. <laughs> hey, Sherry. Nope. Oh, okay. Okay. Anything else, anyone? Speaker. Okay. Have a safe trip. Okay. Take care, everyone. We'll hey, bye. You. We'll see you in a few oh, weeks. Okay. Good night. Have a good trip. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.